Chapter Eight of Woodcraft by Nesmuk. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Phil Schempf. A ten days' trip in the wilderness, going it alone. About the only inducements I can think of for making a ten days' journey through a strong wilderness, solitary and alone, were a liking for adventure, intense love of nature in her wildest dress, and a strange fondness of being in deep forest by myself. The choice of route was determined by the fact that two old friends and schoolmates had chosen to cast their lots in Michigan, one near Saginaw Bay, the other among the pines of the Muskegon, and both were a little homesick, and both wrote frequent letters in which, knowing my weak point, they exhausted their adjectives and adverbs in describing the abundance of game and the marvelous fishing. Now the Muskegon friend, Davis, was pretty well out of reach, but Pete Williams only a few miles out of Saginaw was easily accessible and so it happened on a bright october morning when there came a frost that cut from maine to missouri that a sudden fancy took me to use my new billinghurst on something larger than squirrels it took about one minute to decide and an hour to pack such duffel as i needed for a few weeks in the woods remembering pete's two brown-eyed kids and knowing that they were ague-stricken and homesick i made place for a few apples and peaches with a ripe melon for pete and i had been chums in rochester and i had bunked in his attic on galusha street for two years also his babies thought as much of me as their father the trip to saginaw was easy and pleasant a redbird packet to buffalo the old propeller globe to lower saginaw and a ride of half a day on a buckboard brought me to pete williams clearing were they glad to see me well i think so Pete and his wife cried like children, while the two little homesick kids laid their silken heads on my knees and sobbed for very joy. When I brought out the apples and peaches, assuring them that these came from the little garden of their old home, liar that I was, their delight was boundless, and the fact that their favorite tree was a sour bough, while these were sweet, did not shake their faith in the least. I stayed ten days or more with the Williams family, and the fishing and hunting were all that he had said, all that could be asked. The woods swarmed with pigeons and squirrels. Grouse, quail, ducks, and wild turkeys were too plentiful, while a good hunter could scarcely fail of getting a standing shot at a deer in a morning's hunt. But what use could be made of fish or game in such a place? They were all half sick and had little appetite. Mrs. Williams could not endure the smell of fish. They had been cloyed on small game and were surfeited on venison. My sporting ardor sank to zero i had the decency not to slaughter game for the love of killing and leave it to rot or hook large fish that could not be used i soon grew restless and began to think about the lumber camp on the muskegon by surveyor's lines it was hardly more than sixty miles from pete williams clearing to the joe davis camp on the muskegon but practically said pete joe and i are a thousand miles apart white men as a rule don't undertake to cross this wilderness the only one i know who has tried it is old bill hance he can tell you all about it. Hans was the hunting and trapping genius of Saginaw Bay, a man who dwelt in the woods summer and winter, and never trimmed his hair or wore any other covering on his head. Not a misanthrope or a taciturn, but friendly and talkative, rather, liking best to live alone, but fond of tramping across the woods to gossip with neighbors. A very tall man withal, and so thin, but as he went, rapidly winding and turning among fallen logs, you looked to see him tangle up and tumble in a loose coil like a wet rope, but he was better than he looked. He had a high reputation as trailer, guide, or trapper, and was mentioned as a bad man in a racket. 
i had met him several times and as he was decidedly a character had rather laid myself out to cultivate him and now that i began to have a strong notion of crossing the woods alone i took counsel of bill hance unlike williams he thought it perfectly feasible and rather a neat gamey thing for a youngster to do he had crossed the woods several times with surveying parties and once alone he knew an indian trail which led to an old camp within ten miles of the muskegon and thought the trail could be followed it took him a little less than three days to go through but he added i naturally travel a little faster in the woods than most men if you can follow the trail you ought to get through in little more than three days if you keep moggin one afternoon i carefully packed the knapsack and organized for a long woods tramp i took little stock in that trail or the three days notion as to time i made calculations on losing the trail the first day and being out a full week the outfit consisted of rifle hatchet compass blanket bag knapsack and knife for rations one loaf of bread two quarts of meal two pounds of pork one pound of sugar with tea salt etc and a supply of jerked venison one tin dish twelve rounds of ammunition and the bullet moulds filled the list and did not make a heavy load early on a crisp bright october morning i kissed the little fellows good-bye and started out with hans who was to put me on the trail i left the children with sorrow and pity at heart i am glad now that my visit was a golden hiatus in the sick monotony of their young lives and that i was able to brighten a few days of their dreary existence they had begged for the privilege of sleeping with me on a shakedown from the first and when as so often happened a pair of little feverish lips would murmur timidly and pleadingly i'm so dry can i have a drink i am thankful that i did not put the pleader off with a sip of tepid water but always brought it from the spring sparkling and cold for a twelvemonth later there were two little graves in the corner of the stump blackened garden and two sore hearts in pete williams cabin hans found the trail easily but the indians had been gone a long time and it was filled with leaves dim and not easy to follow it ended as nearly all trails do it branched off to the right and left grew dimmer and slimmer degenerated to a deer path petered out to a squirrel track ran up a tree and ended in a knot hole i was not sorry for it left me free to follow my nose my inclination and the compass there are men who on finding themselves alone in a pathless forest become appalled almost panic-stricken the vastness of an unbroken wilderness subdues them and they quail before the relentless untamed forces of nature these are the men who grow enthusiastic at home about sylvan life outdoor sports but always strike camp and come home rather sooner than they intended and there be some who plunge into unbroken forest with a feeling of fresh free invigorating delight as they might dash into a crisp ocean surf on a hot day these know that nature is stern hard immovable and terrible in unrelenting cruelty when wintry winds are out and the mercury far below zero she will allow her most ardent lover to freeze on her snowy breast without waving a leaf in pity or offering him a match and scores of her devotees may starve to death in as many different languages before she will offer a loaf of bread she does not deal in matches and loaves rather in thunderbolts and granite mountains and the ashes of her campfires bury proud cities but like all tyrants she yields to force and gives the more the more she is beaten she may starve or freeze the poet the scholar the scientist all the same she has in store food fuel and shelter which the skilful self-reliant woodsman can wring from her savage hand with axe and rifle only to him whose coat of rags has pressed at night her regal feet 
shall come the secrets strange and sweet of century pines and beetling crags for him the goddess shall unlock the golden secrets which have lain ten thousand years through frost and rain deep in the bosom of the rock the trip was a long tiresome one considering the distance there were no hairbreadth escapes i was not tackled by bears treed by wolves or nearly killed by a hand-to-claw racket with a panther and there were no indians to come sneak hunting around after hare the animal life was abundant exuberant even the bright-eyed wood folk seemed tame nay almost friendly and quite intent on minding their own business it was a pigeon year a squirrel year and also a marvellous year for shack or mast every nut-bearing tree was loaded with sweet well-filled nuts and this coupled with the fact that the indians had left and the whites had not yet got in probably accounted for the plentitude of game i do not think there was an hour of daylight on that trip when squirrels were not too numerous to be counted while pigeons were a constant quantity from start to finish grouse in the thickets and quail in the high oak openings or small prairies with droves of wild turkeys among heavy timber were met with almost hourly and there was scarcely a day on which i could not have had a standing shot at a bear but the most interesting point about the game was to me at least the marvellous abundance of deer they were everywhere on all sorts of ground and among all varieties of timber very tame they were too often stopping to look at the stranger offering easy shots at short range and finally going off quite leisurely no ardent lover of forest life could be lonely in such company and in such weather the only drawback was the harassing and vexatious manner in which lakes streams swamps and marshes constantly persisted in getting across the way compelling long detours to the north or south when the true course was nearly due west i think there were days on which ten hours of pretty faithful tramping did not result in more than three or four miles of direct headway the headwaters of the salt and chippewa rivers were especially obstructive and when more than half the distance was covered i ran into a tangle of small lakes marshes and swamps not marked on the map which cost a hard day's work to leave behind while there were no startling adventures and no danger connected with the trip there was a constant succession of incidents that made the lonely tramp far from monotonous some of these occurrences were intensely interesting and a little exciting perhaps the brief recital of a few may not be uninteresting at the present day when game is so rapidly disappearing my rifle was a neat hair-triggered billinghurst carrying sixty round balls to the pound a muzzle-loader of course and a nail-driver i made just three shots in ten days and each shot stood for a plump young deer in the short blue it seemed wicked to murder such a bright graceful animal when no more than the loins and a couple of slices from the ham could be used leaving the balance to the wolves who never failed to take possession before i was out of earshot but i condoned the excess if excess it were by the many chances i allowed to pass not only on deer but bear and once on a big brute of a wild hog the wickedest and most formidable-looking animal i ever met in the woods the meeting happened in this wise i had been bothered and wearied for half a day by a bad piece of low marshy ground and had at length struck a dry rolling oak opening where i sat down at the foot of a small oak to rest i had been scarcely resting ten minutes when i caught sight of a large dirty white animal slowly working its way in my direction through the low bushes evidently nosing around for acorns i was puzzled to say what it was it looked like a hog but stood too high on its legs and how would such a beast get there anyhow nearer and nearer he came and at last walked out into an open spot less than twenty yards distant 
it was a wild hog of the ugliest and largest description tall as a yearling with an unnaturally large head and dangerous-looking tusks that curved above his savage snout like small horns there was promise of magnificent power in his immense shoulders while flanks and hands were disproportionately light he came out to the open leisurely munching his acorns or amusing himself by ploughing deep furrows with his nose and not until within ten yards did he appear to note the presence of a stranger suddenly he raised his head and became rigid as though frozen to stone he was taking an observation for a few seconds he remained immovable then his bristles became erect and with a deep guttural grunting noise he commenced hitching himself along in my direction sidewise my hair raised and in an instant i was on my feet with the cock rifled to my shoulder meaning to shoot before his charge and then make good time up the tree but there was no need as i sprang to my feet he sprang for the hazel bushes and went tearing through them with the speed of a deer keeping up a succession of snorts and grunts that could be heard long after he passed out of sight i am not subject to buck fever and was disgusted to find myself so badly rattled that i could scarcely handle the rifle at first i was provoked at myself for not getting a good ready and shooting him in the head as he came out of the bushes but it was better to let him live he was not carnivorous or a beast of prey and as ugly as he was certainly looked better alive than he would as a porcine corpse no doubt he relished his acorns as well as though he had been less ugly and he was a savage power in the forest bears love pork and the fact that the hog was picking up a comfortable living in that wilderness is presumptive evidence that he was a match for the largest bear or he would have been eaten long before another little incident in which bruin played a leading part rises vividly to memory it was hardly an adventure only the meeting of man and bear and they parted on good terms with no hardness on either side the meeting occurred as usually was the case with large game on dry oaklands where the undergrowth was hazel sassafras and wild grapevine as before i had paused for a rest when i began to catch glimpses of a very black animal working its way among the hazel bushes under the scattering of oaks and toward me with no definite intention of shooting but just to see how easy it might be to kill him i got a good ready and waited slowly and lazily he nuzzled his way among the trees sitting up occasionally to crunch acorns until he was within twenty-five yards of me with the bright bead neatly showing at the butt of his ear and he sitting on his haunches calmly chewing his acorns oblivious of danger he was the shortest legged blackest and glossiest bear i had ever seen and such a fair shot but i could not use either skin or meat and he was a splendid picture just as he sat shot down and left to taint the blessed air he would not look as wholesome let alone that it would be unwarrantable murder and so when he came nosing under the very tree where i was sitting suddenly i jumped up threw my hat at him and gave a comanche yell he tumbled over in a limp heap grunting and whining for very terror gathered himself up got up headway and disappeared with wonderful speed considering the length of his legs on another occasion and this was in heavy timber i was resting on a log partially concealed by spice bushes when i noticed a large flock of turkeys coming in my direction as they rapidly advanced with their quick gliding walk the flock drew to a drove the drove became a swarm an army to right and on the left as far as i could see in front a legion of turkeys were marching steadily marching to the eastward among them were some of the grandest gobblers i had ever seen and one magnificent fellow came straight toward me never before or since have i seen such a splendid wild bird his thick glossy black beard nearly reached the ground 
his bronze uniform was of the richest and he was decidedly the largest i have ever seen when within fifty feet of the spot where i was nearly hidden his wary eye caught something suspicious and he raised his superb head for an instant in an attitude of motionless attention then with lowered head and drooping tail he turned right about gave the note of alarm put the trunk of a large tree quickly between himself and the enemy and went away like the wind with the speed of thought the warning note was sounded along the whole line and in a moment the woods seemed alive with turkeys running for dear life in less time than it takes to tell that gallinaceous army had passed out of sight forever and the like of it will never again be possible on this continent and again on the morning of the sixth day out i blundered on to such an aggregation of deer as a man sees but once in a lifetime i had camped overnight on lowland among heavy timber but soon after striking camp came to a place where the timber was scattered and the land had a gentle rise to the westward scarcely had i left the lowland behind when a few deer got out of their beds and commenced lazily bounding away they were soon joined by others on the right flank on the left and ahead they continued to rise and canter off leisurely stopping at a distance of one to two hundred yards to look back it struck me finally that i had started something rather unusual and i began counting the deer in sight it was useless to attempt it their white flags were flying in front and on both flanks as far as one could see and new ones seemed constantly joining their procession among them were several very large bucks with superb antlers and these seemed very little afraid of the small quiet biped and leaf-coloured rig they often paused to gaze back with bold fearless front as though inclined to call a halt and face the music but when within a hundred yards would turn and canter leisurely away as the herd neared the summit of a low-lying ridge i tried to make a reasonable guess at their numbers by counting a part and estimating the rest but could come to no satisfactory conclusion as they passed the summit and loped down the gentle decline toward heavy timber they began to scatter and soon not a flag was in sight it was a magnificent servine army with white banners and i shall never look upon its like again the largest drove of deer i had seen in twenty years consisted of seven only and with much of interest much of tramping and not a little vexatious delay i came at length to a stream that i knew must be the south branch of the muskegon the main river could scarcely be more than ten miles to the westward and might easily be reached in one day it was time the meal and pork were nearly gone sugar and tea were at low ebb and i was tired of venison tired anyhow ready for human speech and human companionship it was in the afternoon of the ninth day that i crossed the south muskegon and laid a course west by north the travelling was not bad and in less than an hour i ran on to the ruins of a camp that i knew to be the work of indians it had evidently been a permanent winter camp and was almost certainly the indian camp spoken of by bill hance pausing a short time to look over the ruins with the lonely feeling always induced by a decayed rotting camp i struck due west and made several miles before sundown i camped on a little rill near a huge dry stub that would peel made the last of the meal into a johnny cake broiled the last slice of pork and lay down with the notion that a ten days tramp where it took an average of fifteen miles to make six ought to end on the morrow at sunrise i was again on foot and after three hours of steady tramping saw a smoky opening ahead in five minutes i was standing on the left bank of the muskegon and the joe davis camp was it upstream or down i decided on the latter and started slowly downstream keeping an eye out for signs 
in less than an hour i struck a dim log road which led to the river and there was a landing with the usual debris of skids loose bark chocks and some pieces of broken boards it did not take long to construct an efficient log raft of the dry skids and as i drifted placidly down the deep wild river munching the last bit of johnny cake i inwardly swore that my next wilderness cruise should be by water it was in late afternoon that i heard blessed sound the eager clank 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 of the old-fashioned sawmill it grew nearer and more distinct presently i could distinguish the rumble of machinery as the carriage gigged back then the raft rounded a gentle bend and a mill with its long log boarding-house came full in sight as the raft swung into the landing the mill became silent a brown-bearded red-shirted fellow came down to welcome me a pair of strong hands grasped both my own and the voice of joe davis said earnestly why george i was never so damn glad to see a man in my life the ten days tramp was ended it had been wearisome to a degree but interesting and instructive i had seen more game birds and animals in the time than i ever saw before or since in a whole season and though i came out with clothes pretty well worn and torn off my back and legs i was a little disposed to plume myself on the achievement even at this day i am a little proud of the fact that with so many temptations to slaughter i only fired three shots on the route nothing but the exceptionally fine dry weather rendered such a trip possible in a wilderness so cut up with swamps lakes marshes and streams a week of steady rain or premature snowstorm either likely enough at that season would have been most disastrous while a forest fire like that of fifty six and later ones would simply have proved fatal reader if ever you are tempted to make a similar thoughtless reckless trip don't do it end of chapter eight